we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 17, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, As we step into chapter 17, which we're starting this morning, uh, Jesus has just um, finished, actually, several chapters worth of his final discourse or his final instructions to his disciples that we've been studying over the last few months. And we actually uh, uh, finished that officially last week, but this morning and in the weeks ahead, we are going to uh, explore the prayer that Jesus prays at the end of their time together. So after several hours worth of conversation, Jesus says, hey, he actually ends with these words. He says, I've told you all of this so that you might have peace. So you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will face persecution, as I've been talking about. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's sort of how he sums up everything that he's been talking about. And then this is what we read next. This is the start of John uh, chapter 17. It says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you in this place. We've gathered in this place because you have glorified God by finishing the work that he gave you to do. On the cross, you said, it is finished. Everything that you were to teach, everything that you were to accomplish was all accomplished. And I pray this morning that as we come as um, humble but broken and distracted people, uh, that we would just catch a glimpse of your glory, the glory that is displayed in what you accomplished. Would we uh, step deeper into the mystery of God this morning because of what you've thrown open, because of what you've made available? Uh, Would you remind us of the the elemental beauty of the gospel that is so counterintuitive to the way that we think in the ways of this world. Would you come, Lord, and be glorified here? Holy Spirit, would you open our minds up to receive? Would you open our hearts up to experience and enjoy what it is that you want to share in this moment? In Jesus' name. Amen. Nearly 2,000 years before Jesus, a man named Jacob uh, cheated and swindled his brother. He uh, cheated and tricked his brother out of his blessing and inheritance. 
which included not just the blessing of the firstborn son, but actually the line of the Messiah. Uh, And then Jacob was on the run. He takes off. He's in a strange land. He's in the middle of nowhere in his his own eyes. When one night he goes to sleep and he has this um, amazing vision from God. Uh, he, He saw the heavens open up and there was a ladder that came from the heavenly realm where God is straight down to the very place where he was. And as he watched, he saw uh, angels ascending and descending from heaven uh, to earth. And as he uh, wakes up from this place, uh, Jacob says these words. He says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I have glimpsed the place where heaven is touching earth. And this becomes a key moment in Jacob's life. But then the story continues. There's a lot more to his story. But then uh, he dies and is buried with his ancestors. And the story continues on. Generations begin to come and go. And and Jacob's descendants become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And after those 400 years, they're they're freed and led out. They become the nation of Israel for something like 700 years before they're then exiled into Babylon. And after some time in Babylon, they end up back in the land again. And uh, after some more words uh, from the prophets and they're trying to rebuild their nation, uh, suddenly kind of uh, there's silence from God. The last prophet dies and they don't hear anything else. And another 400 years go by of radio silence before uh, John the Baptist comes on the scene as a precursor to this man who's catching everyone's attention, the man named Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, that it's now available in and through him, that it's at people's fingertips, that they can repent, change their hearts, change their minds, and receive more than they could imagine from the heavenly realms, from God, in and through him. And he begins calling individuals to come and follow him, to apprentice under him. Hey, you, uh, as an individual, come, leave behind the life that you're living, come and follow me. Uh, This is the account way back. You might remember this from, gosh, a year and something ago when we were starting the Gospel of John. This is the account of him calling Philip and Nathaniel, who are a few of the first people that he calls. Uh, And I'm going to read the first part and the last part will be on the screen. But it says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip then went and found his friend Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He speaks his identity over him. (laughs) How do you know me? 
Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this is the last part. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus replied, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? They would have had that scene in their minds. I know what he's talking about. He's saying heaven and earth will meet in me. I am the place in which the heavens will open. And they did. Those men followed Jesus. And many other men and women began to follow Him as well. And throughout their years with Jesus, they saw great and miraculous things. They saw heaven touch earth. But now, at the end of their journey, on their last night, as Jesus spends His final hours with His disciples, it's as if time is standing still. They are on holy ground. They recognize in these hours that they are standing in the manifest presence of God. And as Jesus shares His final moments with them, hours pass by, but the disciples are unaware of it. In fact, in John's telling of this uh, final discourse, we aren't even sure where the disciples are. Chapters worth of conversation. Are they in the upper room? Have they gone to the Mount of Olives? Are they in the Garden of Gethsemane? Are, are they walking the streets of Jerusalem? It, it's, it's not even clear. It's as if everything in the background has faded away. And they are sitting in this eternal moment with Jesus. Finally, as these hours come to a close, Jesus lifts His eyes to heaven. And traditionally, He probably would have lifted His hands as well. He's, he's looking up into the face of God as He begins to pray. And as He does so, it's as if the glory and presence of God is magnified even more. They felt that presence. They felt that glory. But just imagine it ramping up. They're just caught up in the presence of the Lord. The glory of heaven begins to descend and ascend between the eternal Son looking up to the eternal Father. And as He looks up and just begins to pray, Abba, Father, I just imagine the atmosphere being transformed in that room. The Holy Spirit just flooding that place as Father and Son share this intimate moment before the cross. It's as if the heavens open upon them. And if you were there, it would have felt like, man, I'm, everything else has faded away. I'm being caught up in the presence and the glory of the Lord as Father and Son face each other and, and share this moment. 
And this is what he says. He says, Abba, Father, the hour has come. It is here. This is what we've been waiting for. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people, that He might give eternal life to all those you have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And and as he prays, you can almost feel that sense of heaven touching earth, of angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus looks up to heaven. He looks up to the Father. But the intensified presence of God comes down and descends on this moment. He prays to go down to crucifixion, uh, to, to His lowest point. I must finish my work in the lowliest of all places, but I pray that my obedience and that sacrifice will rise up and, and bring glory to God, that it would point broken humanity into the heart of heaven. And just as I came down for this purpose, I am returning back up again to heaven, to the glory I had with you before the creation of the world. And just as I came to bring eternal life down and make it available to these people, to these men and women, so too in in that eternal life, they're being caught up into the heavenly realms, into this relationship with their heavenly Father. Uh, Just as I came down to get them, so I am bringing them up into the heavenly realms. There's a sense as he's praying of ascending and descending, of the interaction between heaven and earth. This is a Jacob's ladder moment. The glory of God descending and ascending. And the disciples are are caught up in that moment. They're standing in the intensified presence of God. They're standing in His glory. In this moment of love and beauty and intimacy and power. It would be difficult to describe what they're experiencing as they stand in the midst of this prayer, they they are ushered into, caught up in the very relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Ushered into this place of heightened awareness. They they get front row seats to, to glimpse the heart of Jesus for the Father. And the heart of the Father for Jesus. And the heart of both of them for broken humanity. And, and what it is they're planning to do as they're glorified on earth and make eternal life available. They they get to see into this moment that the glory of God that's preparing to break out upon the world. Yet, even as they stand in this glory and Jesus prays to be glorified, 
and to bring even more glory to God, the disciples are not prepared for what happens next. Because the glory of God is to be put on full display, but not in the raw power of the exodus. Not in the parting of the waters, or plagues, or earthquakes, or or the death of the firstborn sons. This time, the glory of God will be put on display in the death of His Son. What they were not prepared for, what they could not discern within the prayer that Jesus is praying, is that the cross would be the ultimate place of God's revelation to the world and God's glory. You want to glimpse the heart of the divine essence of who God is, of what God is like in His heart of hearts. You look at the cross. Because that's where I'm going to reveal what I am like to the world. It is the weakness of the incarnation. It is the self-humiliation of becoming small and human and limited and weak and ultimately placing Himself in weakness and humility and self-sacrifice upon the cross. That is His glory. John writes, in the beginning was the Word. Unlimited, unrestrained, filled with glory. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Before anything was created, before there was earth and time and space. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh. He made Himself small and made His dwelling among us in humility and weakness. But listen to this. John says, And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. His glory was in making Himself small coming down from heaven. His glory was put on full display at the cross. That's the glory. That's the glory they got to witness. When we think about seeing God's glory, we think about being on the Mount of Transfiguration. That was one way that God displayed His glory as His heavenly nature shone out. But but this is an even more intensified... The glory they're speaking of 
is not the Mount of Transfiguration. It is the cross. These are the words that Jesus says. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And this lifting up that Jesus uh, continuously speaks of throughout the Gospel of John has a double meaning. It's a little bit lost on us. Uh, we, We have a bit of it in the English language. It was even more obvious in the original language. Jesus will be physically lifted up on the cross for the world to see, but in doing so, He will also be exalted or glorified. It's the exact same word in Greek. You could take it in two different directions. The reader has to decide, what is he talking about? He's talking about both. I will be physically lifted up, nailed to a cross, but I will be exalted, I will be glorified. The glory of God will shine out. It will be put on full display in the way that I am lifted up. It's not just that the suffering of Jesus on the cross leads to future glory, though that's true. It's that the suffering of Jesus on the cross is glory. It is the glory of God manifested for the world to see. It is His place of exaltation. Again, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For the heart and beauty and salvation of God to be revealed and unleashed upon the world. That hour has come. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. It says, it's just me. All the beauty and glory is just in me alone. But if it dies, It produces many seeds. Everyone else gets to share in that life. Gets to share in that glory. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. May it never be. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. It has to happen this way. Instead, I pray, Father, Glorify Your name. Reveal Your glory to the world. The disciples say, show us. Show us Your glory. Show us the Father. He says, I'm going to. You will see Him. You will see His glory. Then a voice came from heaven. The Father responds. His love for His Son overwhelms Him. He cannot hold back. He says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoke to Him. Jesus said, that voice, that was for your benefit, not mine. The Father and I, we talk all day. I hear Him all the time. That was for you. He, he, he said that that way so you could hear it, so that you could be brought in on this. It's for your benefit. Now is the time for judgment on this world. 
Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. There it is again. As as I am lifted up, God will be glorified and I will draw the world to myself. What's put on display at the cross? What is revealed to us? How is the glory of God on display in that moment? We, We get to see the heart of the Father. The judgment against evil. The purity and holiness of God revealed from heaven. We we see the prince of this world and and the forces of darkness that defile and enslave humanity are, are conquered. We see the love and salvation of God unleashed upon the world that never will you see more purely into God's heart than when you stare at the cross. All of it is there. The core of who He is. His divine attributes brought to bear on our brokenness. This is where the Father and Son are exalted and glorified together. Put on display for the world to see. The heart of God, the love of God, the beauty of God radiates out from the ugliness of the cross. His mercy, His justice, His holiness and self-sacrifice, His grace and His truth, the incomparable goodness of God touching the darkness of our world, taking it on, absorbing it. This is His glory. To the Romans, to the Jews, to the prince of this world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the cross is nothing but humiliation. It is only shame in their eyes. Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power and beauty and glory and wisdom of God. It was John Calvin who said, In that death, we see a boundless glory which is concealed from the ungodly. The world looks on it, does not understand. How could that be God's glory? It can't be. It can only be shame. But the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Jesus was glorified on the cross. 
The Father was glorified on the cross. Our sin met its end and was defeated on the cross. The enemy of our souls was conquered on the cross. The death sentence that Adam and Eve unleashed upon the world was broken and reversed and undone on the cross. He now stands exalted at the right hand of the Father. He has overcome. Eternal life is in His hands. He has authority over all people. All of them. And He has the right to give that life to whoever He pleases. It is His to give. He has brought glory to God on earth by finishing the work that the Father gave Him to do. And now you and I, like the original disciples, are curiously caught up in that glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son. We thank You for filling Him with Your Spirit. And we thank You, Jesus, that You chose to cooperate seamlessly with Father and Spirit to glorify God on the cross. We thank You that You were able to make it to that place where our sin, where our shame, where our enemies, where our death sentence was conquered. And You were able to be there in Your last breath and say, it is finished. The tyranny of darkness is ended. The dark powers of this world no longer have authority over You. Your sin is paid for. It is purchased. It is lifted. It is done away with. It is as far as the east is from the west. It is finished. No longer will you labor under law and religion and self-righteousness trying, failing, feeling shamed, trying again, it is finished. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would bring that finished work to bear on our hearts. We need it more than we know.